0: Pain. Noun. Physical and mental suffering and distress. Pain does not discriminate, coming for the weak and strong alike. The biggest threat that Alistair Black has ever encountered is Lars Sullivan. No! Sullivan catches Black Mask! I don't believe it! I am gonna take everything that you've worth your no one's fading to black, but you all start. Pain is the weapon of choice for the vile and oppressive. Oh my God, the merciless women's champion. A painful pattern unfolding. And the signature hallmark of the unhinged and deranged. Nikki Cross has seen it up. Sheena! <laughs> <Gina>! Sheena! <Gina! laughs> At the root of all conflict and discord. But ultimately, pain leaves you with a choice. You can either feel it. What a valiant effort from DIY. Or you can inflict it. And once pain has been unleashed, there is no controlling the path of destruction it will leave in its wake confined by that wrestler. Johnny Wrestling. I'm not coming to Chicago to wrestle. I'm coming to beat the hell out of you. Tonight, pay takes over the hearts and souls of NXT. Tonight, pay takes over Chicago. And now, WWE Champions, the mobile game presents NXT TakeOver Chicago.
1: I guess what well, I took my first ever laxative yesterday did you never taken a laxative before and it only started working this morning um, so that's not helped
2: <laughs> yeah I suppose uh, that's the trouble isn't it is your stomach's not going to be used to it so it's going to be having a little swirl around huh. that laxative and we might uh, want to be chatting and want to be like where's Tinky the chair's just spinning where you've had to run <laughs> to the bog like some cartoon <laughs> maybe <laughs> oh that's lovely that's lovely yeah, look forward to that. Well, it's a too, isn't it? <laughs> the Erodynes, Vic Joseph. Well, I appreciate the lovely introduction, Welcome, don't my boy. About What's going on. I did have a headset, and I don't know what I've done with it. I think I must have got rid of it. Because I did think about seeing if Tommy wanted to try that, and then I realized I couldn't find it. So I'd be giving him empty promises.
3: Uh, I mean, in terms
2: of stories, on my like, said that's not their one, the best. <laughs> it's a good one, isn't it? A rip snorter. <coughs>
3: Do you know what? If I came into power, I'd ban motorbikes. They do my fucking head in. Yeah, the people who
2: ride them are obnoxious. Hang on. So, so you'd have The Undertaker and his American badass gimmick coming down on a tricycle. Coming down, no, in an Uber.
1: And welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler, and on the day of this pod's release, it is Father's Day in the UK at least, and that is completely unconnected to anything else on the pod this week, but was added as a vague attempt to connect us to the outside world in some way. Joining me today is Sam Carey, whose nickname since school has been Old Man. And so when I first bumped into Sam while he was on a family outing, my first instinct upon seeing his dad was, oh my God, there's Old Man's Old Man. Thankfully, he took it in the jovial nature it was meant, like the hero that he is. Sam, welcome.
2: Thank you very much, Ben. So there's two notes from the intro. One, my dad still references that every now and then. <laughs> he very much enjoys it. And two, you know how I feel about parent days.
1: Yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that early.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in a good mood. I'm excited for the show today, but that's put me on a little bit of a downer. But I reckon a little cuddle from my teddy and I'll be good to go. Of course. <laughs>
1: And also on the pod this week, it's Tom Smith, who is mere weeks away from becoming a dad himself, and likely won't have much time for all this wrestling nonsense once a new baby arrives, so we ought to make the most of him while we can. Tom, how are you today?
3: Very good, thank you. And this is a bit of a, a spoiler alert, but we've, we've caught, thought of the name first, a little girl we're having. We're calling her Shinsuke Nakamura. <laughs> <laughs> Full name. Beautiful.
1: Shinsuke Nakamura Smith.
3: Yes. Uh, or, or it was or it was over that, or Henry O'Gordman Smith. <laughs> But Shinsuke said that it's more exotic.
1: <laughs> Shinsuke Nakamura, is that kind of hyphenated? Is it one word? You know, what's the what's the what's the lowdown?
3: Considering that I don't know how to spell it, it's gonna be very interesting, so I'm looking forward to finding that out myself.
1: Shinsuke Nakamura, that's is XQKZYD isn't it?
3: Oh like uh, I think I'll just write bollocks.
1: <laughs> if you're listening many, many years in the future, that's how Tom's daughter became to be known bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, all that is besides the front row, as today we are taking our first look at WWE's development brand as we delve into NXT TakeOver Chicago 2. But before we do that, just a quick nudge in the direction of our social media channels. We have a presence pretty much everywhere, though through laziness and our main outlet is Twitter. But wherever you fancy following us, we can be found at UK. Okay, so NXT TakeOver Chicago 2. Uh, let's give us our pre-match, pre-match, pre-show thoughts, and expectations going in. Let's start with you, old man. Wow,
2: well, it's NXT in 2018, so I'm, I'm, a, I'll be honest, I was excited sitting down. This is the 20th takeover, and to my mind, at this point, they're 19 for 19 in terms of being either very high or absolutely incredible shows, so I was very excited. And also, I, I was watching a lot of the takeovers at this point, and I couldn't remember watching this one, so it was double excitement. Two lots of excitement.
1: Wow. It's almost too much to handle.
2: Yeah, well, it was, to be honest, so I had to go and have a little lie down before <laughs> watching it.
1: <laughs> uh, Tom, your th- pre-ma- pre-match, I can't stop saying it, your pre-show <laughs> expectations.
3: Um, Again, like like Old Man said, pretty high. They, they usually have a pretty high standard for this. Um, I'll be honest, though, my excitement for... What I assume would probably be a quite good card was very much dampened by the fact that I'm going to have to listen to Mauro Ranallo yelling in my ear for two and a half hours. And I thought to myself, do you know what? It could be the best show in the world, and I'm still going to come out a bit annoyed. Thankfully, we'll we'll get to it in a minute. But that didn't happen. That was my expectation going in.
1: You went a bit. You went a bit Jerry Lawler being sad then. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Well, like the thing is, I'm sure Mauro Ranallo is a nice guy, but I fucking hate his commentary. And I don't want to. I don't want to seem like I'm just shitting on him constantly. But you know, when you will live in a toilet bowl, that's all you can do.
1: I uh, I too, as we as we discussed before, I too don't really appreciate more now's commentary. I know there's lots of people who. Oh, really like <laughs> Lots of people appreciate him. I'm not one of those people. Um, I do think he's just too much. Um, uh, but. In terms of my expectations for the show, yeah, I'm with you. I was very much looking forward to it. Obviously, they've got a reputation for very good shows on their NXT TakeOver specials. And um, although, much like Tom, I didn't really know a lot about what was going to happen on this show. I wasn't really kind of following the product. I've been thinking about this, actually. I think the, the darkest period of my knowledge in terms of not knowing anything, Will be this period from about 2017 through to 2020. Those years just are a fog. I've no idea really what happened. So um, yeah, looking forward to this.
3: I think so. I think I was watching NXT, not the. I definitely wasn't. I've never been a weekly watcher of the TV show, but I did watch. Made sure I watched all of the takeovers up to a certain point, but I think I'd stopped at this point as well i have seen the main event already it had i definitely watched that because i can remember when it happened there were rave reviews so i went back and watched the main event initially when it when it came out but in terms of the rest of the card i hadn't seen any of it either um yeah so it was quite good because I'm, I'm like oh who's this new up and coming character ah, so that's three years ago okay <laughs> <laughs> well
1: that's good you guys will be able to offer some of the context that i simply do not have for the show which is uh which is is hopeful yeah. so as you as you mentioned a moment ago tom there is no more Ranallo for this particular yeah! show. <laughs> um, we, we, he's on assignment somewhere, apparently. So we, Nigel McGuinness does our introduction for the show, and he introduces Vic Joseph, who is the 205 Live commentator at the time, although now I believe he does do NXT just generally. And they're also with Percy Watson on commentary.
3: I thought Vic Joseph was very good. I thought he was very good throughout the show. I like the other guy who is now gone, Tom Phillips, who I quite liked mm-hmm. on commentary as well. Um, both quite quite understated, but doesn't have to get the job over without being annoying. And I thought I thought he did a pretty decent job. And also, just a little bit in the match on on Percy Watson, it's right near the end. But someone
2: said to Percy's point, which I enjoyed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was Percy Watson, 2010. He was ranked two three eight in the PWI top 500 wrestlers in the world. Wow. Since old uh, man's but... been
1: introduced to the PWI 500, yeah. he's been like, all over it. He's loved it. <laughs>
2: That is some commentary lineage, because apparently McGuinness used to wrestle as well, but I don't know whether he was any good or not. To Tom's point, and to Percy's point, uh, Vic Joseph is tremendous. I have an enormous amount of time for Vic Joseph, and I was... It's interesting that you say that he does NXT now, because I had not realised that until this point. Of course he does. His commentary is just great. And again, to Percy's point, Tom Phillips, what a fucking waste. What a waste! why do they bomb him
1: out okay so let's get into the show that we're looking at nxt takeover chicago 2 it begins with a tag team title match between kylo reilly and Roderick strong of the undisputed era against now what's his name is it oney or oney Larkin?
2: Uh, i think it's only yeah tony tony without the t <laughs>
3: <laughs> like only the Iger. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's one of those. Uh, it's one of those things I've seen it written down, and I've always thought it was Oney, And then I've heard it a couple of times and been like, it's Oni, but it, it, the way they say it still makes me question whether it really is Oni.
3: Mm. Oh, imagine if his theme song was, "I am the one and Oni. Chesney uh, <laughs> Hawks brings him out in WrestleMania.
1: Uh, only Larkin and Danny Burch. This is a match that runs for sixteen minutes. And it ends when uh, Undisputed Era pinned Lorcan after a total elimination type move. So similar to the the Eliminators move Saturn and Cronus used to do. I don't know if it's got a name. Apologies. As I say, not up on this product at all. So this is quite new to me. Uh, Tom, let's start with your thoughts on this one.
3: Right. OK, I've got something to say about this match. First start, it's great. The match is great. The, the, the shift that the, these lads put in the ring is it's amazing i'll go and i'll go through the bits that i liked about at the match and then i'm going to go into and a few observations then i'm going to go into my my bugbear for a start again i'm not I, i'm like you think yeah, I'm not up on the product at all but i was like who the fuck are danny Bretchen and, and only larkin Lor- i was like the undisputed era aren't losing to these people straight away i felt like it was very very obvious that they weren't going to lose to it and that's not even necessarily with the benefit of hindsight just looking at the way they're presented they do look at Guys in black tights versus guys in black tights. So there's no individuality or any personality in there in their get-up to really differentiate from, them from each other. Apart from the fact that one team's bold and the other team isn't. It's basically the only kind of defining difference between them, at least on the service. Um, Lorcan is known as the Boston Brawler, but I checked and he's not in the New England Hall of Fame. Oh, it's disappointing. Keeps a waste. This is a bit when old Billy Fish breaks up, pin attempt, and the referee gets genuinely annoyed at him. <laughs> Which yeah. looks genuinely annoyed at him. So before um, we carry
1: on, Tom, before you carry yeah. on, Billy Fish.
3: Yeah, yeah, Bobby Fish. Is that well, name?
1: it's not Bobby Fish, <laughs> it's Adam Cole.
3: No, 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 not not that bit. Not, not the bit when Adam Cole pulls him out. There's a bit, There's a, like a you know, a, a tag team breaking up the pin.
1: There's About no, pin. Bobby Fish isn't in the match. No.
3: Is not he? Who it's the Roger fuck did this... There's
1: Roderick, Roderick Strong. The yeah. Kyler well, there's four of them. There's Bobby Fish is one of them. Kyle O'Reilly, Roderick Strong, and Adam Cole. This is Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong with Adam Cole at ringside. And
2: <laughs> Billy the Fish is Bobby
1: Fish <laughs> is I don't know where he is. I don't know
2: where he's, he's, he's he's injured is. at this point Fair. because oh. his his fin was uh snapped, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, I just realised I said Billy the Fish as well. As if he's like <laughs> some
3: kind of like nineteen thirties gangster
1: you've had a man but just, just keep going mate just keep going right
3: Do you know what fuck it i'm not going to talk about anything else much the thing that really annoys me about it though is that aren't the undisputed air supposed to be heels as far as i'm aware and for a start i hate the adam cole baby thing that i fucking hate it because <laughs> like if you're if you're a heel you fucking cut that shit out right now because that is so poor you shouldn't be encouraging the crowd to get involved with you and singing along if you're a heel it's the basics of being a hero and professional wrestling. No. The at thing point, is though,
1: Tom, people know his name. They're not calling him Billy the Fish or they're not
3: calling him <laughs> something else. I did get his name right, didn't I? It is Adam Cole who does that, isn't it? Yeah. Adam Cole, yes. Yeah. So um, Adam Copeland, when he does that, <laughs> they say when he does that, it just, it just annoys me. It just really fucking boils my piss. And it just annoyed me. It annoyed me that the crowd were cheering these heels so much. Like the bit when um, Adam Cole pulls the guy out and gets ejected. The crowd, the, the crans, fuck me. <laughs> the, the, cra- <laughs> the, the crowd slash fans are just booing the ref. And it's just, it, it just annoyed me. I thought the match was really good. The actual work that the guys put in in this match is phenomenal. But I was just, I found the crowd quite annoying minute so old man maybe
1: you can uh, enlighten us Were are the indisputed era and are they heels and do they even apply face and heel rules in nxt anymore because i was and,
3: confused by this and also old man can you speak coherently
2: <laughs> that you start. i'll give all of them a go so Tommy's had this uh, bugbear with the Undisputed Era for years. And my thing with the Undisputed Era is that they are called the Undisputed Era. They do not give two shits what people think, whether they boo them, whether they cheer them or whatever. They just know that they're the best. They don't care. Like That's why I think like they do the Adam Cole, Bebe thing, which personally I love. I think they're great. I had no idea who these lads were when they came in. Obviously, Roderick Strong sided with them. Later on, I had no idea. And as soon as they arrived, I was like, these guys are fucking amazing. Like, these guys are great. And in, like, Lorcan and Birch, there's kind of like, they're, and this kind of happened later on as well. It's like, to Thomas' point, people know they ain't beating them. They're absolutely, there's no way that they're beating them. But fuck me. Like this is incredible. This is so good. I almost watched it again immediately after before I continue with the rest of the show. It's just chaos. It's just absolute chaos. But it's so well put together that it's oh it's just fucking brilliant. Like I was almost, to be honest, I almost had to go off and have a little tug. <laughs> <laughs> I think the fans are, to thomas point, are very confused because they don't know what to do. And I personally, I found that incredibly enjoyable because they're kind of booing old Danny Birch, who, by the way, he is stiffer than an old loaf of bread, that guy. He is beating people up left, right, and center. But he gets this, oh, bloody piss beaten out of him for a couple of minutes. And they do the hot tag with Lorcan, and the crowd are trying to boo Lorcan, old one They're trying to boo him. And... He's so good after the hot tag that they can't. They're just so excited about it. He does this absurd, over-the-top rope jump thing that would have killed me. Lorcan and Boots do this like elevated double DDT move,
1: like a suplex into a DDT almost.
2: Yeah, and it looks absolutely incredible. There's like the spinning European uppercut off the shoulders, which is like a modified doomsday device. I, they, I'm doing it a disservice because Nigel McGuinness gives it a name, and I can't remember what it is. And then Adam Cole breaks up the pin, and I agree with Tommy. Like when they bomb him out, the crowd are absolutely gutted. But the crowd was so hot. Like for this, it could have been anything. I think I just fucking loved it, and I also love these little little touches where, and we've touched upon this in other episodes as well. So undisputed win i'm having a lovely time outstanding stuff well done they immediately leave the ring lorkhan and are just given that 15 seconds with the ring and i thought you know what it's nice to see two bold lads get some fucking respect because there's one bold lad on this show and he never gets any respect (laughs) loved it absolutely like loved it
3: I will quickly say, my, one of my notes was that Birch looks like the grizzled old West Ham fan that sits in the corner of your local boozer, who everyone's too scared to talk to. <laughs> he's, definitely, he's definitely a Hammers fan, big time. You know, he sits there, and, and even, even, the, even the barman's a little bit scared of him. He goes yeah. over, he orders his carling, he sits back down in his corner, and starts muttering to himself about fucking Declan Rice or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's who he is, and everyone's terrified of him. Just one quick thing, one spot that's amazing, it's the cross face half-crab spot. Whereas one, whereas one goes, and oh, it's just amazing, tremendous. Anyway, Tinky, sorry.
1: Man. No, I mean to be honest, that was the one I was going to really call out the the whole submission sequence for me. I, this match was really great. I was really enjoying it. I was like, this is rocking. It's actually fantastic. I was like, it's going to be a four star match, no problem at all. Then they did that submission spot. I was like, this is phenomenal. Like the, the, you, you add a little bit of innovation to the whole thing, and you all of a sudden my mind is blown because. You watch so many matches Like we must have watched over our lifetime, thousands of matches, wrestling matches. And, you know, you you feel pretty much you've seen everything, pretty much every single match you watch. You know that even if there's some really cool bits, you're still going to have seen something similar to it before that. I'd never seen anything like that before, where basically one of them. First of all, the first bit where he's basically got him in the in the half crab and. He gets kicked in the face and then just almost like ignores it, no-sells it in a really cool kind of, oh, that's a brilliant thing to do because you just don't see that ever. And then then fucking Birch gets Kyler O'Reilly. I think who did the kick in another move, but he, whilst he's in the move, manages to kick Birch again. I was like, this is I was, I was going out of my mind. I was go, I was going yeah. I was just completely going mad for it. So, yeah, I just thought it was absolutely excellent, an incredible match. I think this is up there in terms of, you know, I know, Tom, that you massively kind of have always gone mad for those tag team matches from SmackDown um, mm-hmm. in sort of late 2002 and 2003. This is up there with that sort of stuff. I mean, it's right up there. It's so good. The only thing I would say is that and this is perhaps one of the things I think maybe NXT have, or the people behind NXT have missed is that for me, this is what makes NXT great is this and the women. I don't really care for the men's single stuff. I j- I've never really cared for mm. it. This is the stuff I want to see, and I'm like, this should be the stuff that's in the main event. Like this and the women's stuff should be the main event stuff, not the stuff they always put in the main event positions. I- I've never, I've never really kind of, I've never really got into that stuff, but this is just phenomenal.
3: I, and and as I said, I was I did find the crowd a bit annoying in this because maybe call me a bluff old traditionalist. But i like a, like a clearly defined heel and a clearly defined babyface. But that's not to take away from the absolutely phenomenal work in the match. And I get but it as well. It's the first match in of the pay-per-view. You're going to be a bit excited as well. well
1: I also don't know if... So there's a couple of things there. I think, for me, I don't mind the crowd. Because I feel like, actually, the crowd have defined for themselves who the babyfaces are. They are behind Kyle Riley and Roderick Strong in this match. And they boo Lorcan and Birch all the way through. I'm not sure that that was the intention of NXT... But what I think the intention of NXT is is to make everyone tweeners. I don't really feel like there are heels and babyfaces in NXT, mm-hmm. and that is a problem with the promotion and the way they run the shows, not the fans. That's not really the fans' fault that they don't give them defined babyfaces and heels. So I don't really mind the fans here. It's it's the promotion behind it that that I have a problem with. One other one other note before we move on. Danny Burch uh, is someone I'm really pleased for. Has managed to eke out this career for himself in NXT. He's still there with Lorkin. I think they're still a tag team at this point in time. Yeah. And he was pre. He was like one of the early members of the early roster on the, of NXT. But he kind of got released. In fact, I even remember he was on WrestleTalk TV whilst I was working for them. He it did a bit, and he he was talking quite highly of WWE. But it felt like he was quite disappointed to not be. <laughs> with the company anymore well he then in sort of 2015 or so started coming back and doing some jobbing spots for them and i thought well this seems to be like the the extent to which wwe are going to use him as an nxt jobber but he's managed to do this kind of stuff and show the value that he's got because he was again part of this fantastic fantastic match and all four of these guys were were just brilliant all the way through so really so then we get the first advert for money in the bank it's worth noting that this NXT TakeOver show was just a couple of days before Money in the Bank, and so they are heavily promoting the Money in the Bank show during it. And then we have a hype video for Ricochet versus Velveteen Dream, which is the next match coming up.
3: There's also a little bit of footage of Lars Sullivan's lifting girders in the back, Think about who he's going to racially abuse
2: on Reddit. <laughs> Well, Well, we're we're getting ahead
3: of ourselves there,
1: guys.
2: (laughs) Yeah, obviously, he's lifting the piece of the set that knocked out Shawn Michaels at Judgment Day 2007. Uh, (laughs) It all links in in the
1: end. See, WWE is so good at giving these little, uh,
2: yeah, could we cover Velveteen Dream stuff before the match? Of course, we can. So, before we get into Ricochet and Velveteen Dream, obviously, uh, Velveteen Dream got released. It was only a month or so ago with there's obviously allegations that he was grooming underage uh, boys and also possibly females as well via his Twitter and Instagram. So we'll prefix it with that because I enjoyed this match and I will talk about his work, but I want to separate the work from the human being. And also, I read something that he is apparently an utter cunt, (laughs) like, regardless of the allegations, which I also feel it's fair to say, from our point of view as well, that WWE have consistently said that they have investigated this. And Triple H has said on a number of occasions in conference calls on Facebook, they do a little Facebook chat after the NXT takeovers, that they have investigated it and they have found no reason to believe that these allegations are true, but... With many of these things, you obviously have to take it with no smoke, no fire. And that's kind of how I take it. I don't think that these allegations come from nowhere
1: it's good that you brought this up old man so i thought i would do because i don't usually do this and we are usually not that worried about kind of (laughs) making accusations against people as you all know from our previous episodes (laughs) um but i will just read out what wikipedia has got to say on the matter because wikipedia obviously is a relatively um safe space for what i'm allowed to say so in april 2020 clark was accused of sending clark being patrick clark the man who plays velveteen dream was accused of sending indecent images to underage boys on instagram after a reddit user posted screenshots of what appeared to be a naked clark on the subreddit r squared although clark has denied these allegations in june 2020 clark again made national headlines after new allegations were made that he sent a sexually explicit photo to an underage girl as well as having inappropriate communications with underage boys and grooming them amidst the speaking out movement wwe reportedly investigated the incident but found no evidence of wrongdoing
3: There's also another bit that kind of ties into this which made me feel a bit, a bit, is at the beginning when he gets into the ring he does a really creepy leer at the ring announcer. Now I know he had this kind of, the character that was a bit, you know, princey mixed with gold dusty sort of thing. But, um, like, the see that made me think, as well. Like, with that, you know, taking his, his, allegations into consideration that make me feel a bit icky
1: she does seem legitimately uncomfortable
3: as well at that point yes. that's, the, that's
1: the thing it wasn't necessarily she didn't like laugh or anything she was visibly kind of uncomfortable at yeah. the moment the hype video for ricochet versus velvet oh. so i thought it was a really good hype video and i have written here obviously taking into account what you've said old man forgetting that for a moment that this mm. character the dream character I was very intrigued by it I was like wow, well, this looks this looks like something genuinely interesting genuinely creative and I'm interested to see where it's going never had seen a match with Velveteen Dreaming before never really seen anything about him but I was like just from the hype video I was like okay I'm I'm intrigued by this
3: there's a great bit in there when they're talking about um his past and Ricochet's like probably playing at the baby face and he's like Oh, he's a, um, you know, he's 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 had some setbacks. And he's come back, you know. He got eliminated from um from Tough Enough, and then he just cuts to Val, team dream because the dream doesn't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> this is so, so good. And the other bit that made me laugh is right at the beginning, Ricochet's kind of like he seems to be a bit annoyed about the fact that he's known as the guy who does flips. Yes. You, you, you kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, a, like, do you know what I'm really annoyed that? People think of me as being blunt Really does my head in. I'll, I'll dye my hair if it was that much of an issue.
1: Yeah, I mean, it. this is something he's got complete control over. And in fairness to him, he might be annoyed that he's the guy who, who kind of is known as the guy who does flips, but he is about the best guy who does flips in the world. So you kind of have to accept that a little bit, don't you?
3: Yeah. And and also, and it also shows that bit where he jumps over the top rope and face to faces with oh, Velveteen so. Dream at yeah. NXT. And it's like, Fuck me, that's amazing. The balance and the yeah. oh, it's tremendous. Again, like you said earlier, but talk about things that you haven't seen before. Oh, it's tremendous.
1: Yeah, so this is a 22-minute match and ends when Ricochet hits a 6:30 splash for the victory. Old man, your thoughts on the match overall?
2: It's tremendous. This is why I wanted to cover the Velveteen Dream stuff before, because he's fucking amazing. He is absolutely amazing. And I was, uh, i seen some of his matches before this and after this. And I, as they say that like, he gets the Cena rub on social media, Cena, they mentioned it in commentary. Cena said, this guy's the future of wrestling. And also the rock gives ricochet the old push as well, saying that, He's flipping amazing. Oh, no, I don't think he does say that. That's just my little, my opinion. Um, so it's it's tremendous. Velvet Team Dreams music is incredible. Like right? it's just absolutely tremendous. The reason why I like this match is because so there is a little bit of the flippy stuff, A little bit of the flippy stuff by Ricochet, but there's so little of that by comparison to matches that I've seen Ricochet have previously and i really liked it because it caught me off guard because they it's more about a bit of physicality and also a lot of selling as well by both of them velveteen Dream selling is incredible like he just makes everything look incredibly believable and to your point tinky with the interview like he's he is this character unfortunately I think he genuinely probably is this character in terms of like what he does with Caleb Braxton. Like we mentioned at the start of the match, I think he is genuinely like he says to the ref, he's like, don't touch me. I'm the Velveteen Dream. And from what I've read, he's legitimately like that, where he thought he was above everyone else. And um, There is a suplex. I think it's by the Velveteen Dream to ricochet from the ring apron to the outside that they kind of fake a few times in matches and I'd never seen it actually happen. And I shout I was just watching it in my lever room a couple of days ago. I shouted shit when it happened. I was like, shit on it <laughs> Yeah, and then so the referee, referee's another guy. So there's a lot of people who aren't with the company. He's not with the company anymore. Because mm, yeah. he's allegedly now he's denied it. A bit of a bit of a uh covid denier but he's also a heavily religious man so i think he's put his covid fate in the hands of god which is a risky business um he does a very questionable fast count for the count out after this suplex and he's also
3: i think off filming the latest season of the jersey shore because he looks he looks an <laughs> awful lot
2: like the situation <laughs> That's tremendous. Ricochet does a shooting star press a la Brock Lesnar, but he fortunately doesn't... Basically, if he landed on his head, he do not have the neck of uh, Brock Lesnar, so fortunately he makes it. But he makes it only onto Velveteen Dream's knees, which almost made me sick, to be honest. just the thought of landing rib first on someone's knees. It's just really, really, really great match. There is another point I wanted to make. Like, oh, it's about Velveteen uh, Dream's Hulk Hogan attire yeah. and he does like some Hogan posing before the match and then him and Ricochet do the WrestleMania 18 stare down at the start of the match where they're kind of looking looking alternate sides which I just thought is just, just really excellent. Well done, lads. And to be honest, by this point, I don't know what's going on, because I've seen two absolutely tremendous matches that are also very different. And I was caught off guard by this match, by the pace of it. I thought it was going to, like, the reverse. I thought the tag match would have been more like this, and this would have been more like the tag match. And to flip them around was lovely. Well done, lads. Tom? I'm a little bit torn by the Hogan entrance, if I'm being honest. Because, again, it
3: kind of feeds back into my, looking. I don't like, I don't want a heel to have a cool entrance you know I, I, like what the fans get on board with I don't know it's a little bit unsure about it anyway that's that's by the by also Ricochet's wing, wings crap they, come yeah. they should be like Buzz Lightyear's that'd be better he presses a <laughs> button they pop out that'd be amazing also on Ricochet as well he, his physique is absolutely terrible he needs to get in the gym I think <laughs> because he looks fucking awful silliness aside onto the actual match there's a bit at the beginning, and I remember we—I referred to this sort of thing happen when we covered the ECW, the, the first ECW pay-per-view did. I believe in the Tajiri versus whoever the fuck match it was. There's a bit where they have this sequence where, right at the beginning, it's very acrobatic, um, just reversals constantly reversing, and then the, the then it ends. Ricochet flips around, lands on his feet, and Velveteen Dream looks fucking pissed off that he just can't. Get him and that was a really really nice touch because as I said to you, it really annoys me when people are like, Yeah, look at that again. The erection, he looks fuming that he can't get to miss. It's just that little nice, nice touch that I really liked. Um, also on Velveteen Dream, he does a lovely Death Valley driver, an absolutely beautiful Death Valley driver, puts everything into it. I've watched quite a lot of Ricochet matches, or well, not Ricochet matches, but he wrestled as Prince Puma in lucha underground and he did he was very good in that as well but he always did something that really really frustrated me and i was watching out for it in this and he doesn't actually do it in this match and i'd be intrigued to see if he doesn't do any more i think when he used to sell things um in lucha underground especially if it was like a high impact move he would always land on his back and then sit up and then almost like reach like out with his hands out to, and to like demonstrate that he was in pain but now that i think about it i think that's probably because he was masked mm. you know what i mean so he couldn't you know sell as much you know from his face or at all really um, and he, he only does that once in the match and that's right near the end on a very high impact mood so I quite like that the 6.30 is fucking impressive I don't I can't understand how you can spin that many times over that short amount of space mm-hmm. it's it's phenomenal the match I really enjoyed I really liked it as well uh, but again there's a little bit a little bit of the fans cheering Velveteen Dream, which annoyed me a little bit. And that's gonna be a bit of a theme throughout this entire thing. <laughs> I think,
1: think you are probably fine. Um, I, I thought it was a really good match. I really loved the little story they were playing up to, which they, they started in a hype video, which was Velveteen Dream, saying he could do anything Ricochet does, and then they had him try, and he did do some of the bits that he could manage. I mean he's not gonna try the 630, let's be honest, but he did try some of the bits and pieces that Ricochet does and did it perhaps not quite as well as ricochet but still did it and i thought that was really cool that was a really good way of selling the match and almost the idea that when ricochet then did velveteen dream's elbow drop velveteen dream then felt like he had to do it in order to show that he could do it as well because ricochet had now done it um so and that kind of played into the end of the match really well so i just thought it was a really really good match really story driven i didn't think velveteen dream was that great in terms of technically but i didn't care because i just thought his character was so interesting the reaction to what he was doing was int- was was there the fans were so into it and also they just that they told the story so it and, it and it like they fed into a kind of ongoing angle and storyline that had been progressing through the weeks and months so even though i don't particularly think he's that technically gifted I actually still felt like it's just still a great match. And I felt like I wish I'd seen this before I'd heard any of the accusations about him, because I was thinking this guy should be a future main event guy. There's The story is there, the character is there, the way he acts, the, the little things he does, his facial expressions, the the way that he is living the character in the ring. Which clearly may not be the fact may not be the fact that he's actually playing a character, but more that this is who he is. But just all of that stuff, I was like, this guy is fantastic, and, it, and NXT and WWE in general needs more of this kind of guy who comes in and works this way. But as I say, knowing what I knew about Velveteen Dream, everything had to have that caveat then afterwards, mm-hmm. which was just I mean, which was just a, a great shame. But yeah, really really enjoyed the match. The 6:30 splash is just something of beauty i don't know i don't even know it's not necessarily the amount of spins that he does before he in that short amount of time it's that he lands the way he wants to land yeah. that's the bit i can't understand. Uh, how you manage to manufacture that when you're doing those spins and also just the mindset of even trying it the first time like once you know you can do it fair enough like once you know you can do it you're going to do it again you know many times because you you know exactly what it's supposed to feel like but just the mindset to try it in the first place i just don't don't know where that comes from
3: he's another one of those where everything he does is perfect in control everything like To be able to hit some of those moves, like you've said, he does a standing shooting star press at one point in the match. Yeah. You're like, how the fuck do you do that? I mean, I've seen it before. I've seen that. I remember Paul London used to do that quite a lot, I think, which is a weird reference point. Yeah, a <laughs> old, but... big, big Paul oh, but... London shout. But it, it stuck out to me then as well. And it's just, it's just, he's just brilliant, Ricochet. Uh, and he has got released in two years and ended up in AEW written all over him. Because the WWE main roster wouldn't have a fucking clue. He will occupy the Battle Royale, Money in the Bank ladder match, Kofi Kingston, previously Shell and Benjamin spot for another couple of years and then he'll get released and end up in AEW.
1: Is, is partially the problem with that? That A, they will focus entirely on the fact they can do those flippy bump things. But also that Ricochet himself doesn't seem to have worked on anything but those things so like he's obviously a great in-ring wrestler but i don't know anything about him i don't know what his character is and i don't feel like he's trying to show me anything about his character whilst he's working it's almost like this match is the perfect mix of a really technically gifted excellent wrestler and a and a character wrestler and it's what ricochet matches in my view lack most of the time is that character and that story and that's where i think the onus is on him to start developing those things because if he doesn't tom is absolutely right that's what will happen to him because he will be in wwe for another couple of years he'll do the wwe convoluted royal rumble remains in the royal rumble spot he'll do the money in the bank where he takes a massive fall and then they'll release him because they've got nothing left for him to do
3: you could apply that to pretty much every member of the male roster though
2: i think
1: I think, that's, I think that's fair in, in, in a lot of cases, yeah, absolutely.
3: I do think that is true.
2: Um, do you think he'll bounce around a bit, Ricochet, between <laughs> companies? <company>? Yeah,
3: no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he will be fired at one point. Out of a gun. <laughs>
2: out of a gun.
1: <laughs> that shouldn't be allowed. That is fucking atrocious. I'm not, I'm not even yeah. going there. I've got nothing. But oh, nothing what? is better than the contribution you just made. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So after this match, we get an advert for Ronda Ra- Rondi, Rondi? We get an advert for Ronda Rousey versus Nia Jax at Money in the Bank. As I said earlier, it is Money in the Bank weekend. We then get a hype video for Shayna Baszler and Nikki Cross's match, which is up next.
3: In the uh, Ronda Nia Jax promo, they're saying, "Is Ronda Rousey ready for Nia Jax? Probably, <laughs> probably. <laughs> saying, saying. <laughs> you
2: know, I'd, I'd imagine so. Just a quick note on that match because I was like. Crap match, and then I can remember it. It's actually very good. It's definitely the best match Nia Jax will ever have because she don't really do anything. It's just Ronda Rousey doing Ronda Rousey really.
1: I haven't seen it, but the way that that advert came across was how I feel Nia Jax should have been booked from the beginning which is this the sense that she's this monster that no one can stop it plays perfectly then into Ronda Rousey facing her but yeah I don't think they push her that way uh as I said then we get the hype video for Baszler and Nikki Cross um we have footage of Baszler dominating the NXT women's division and Cross then appearing to be the only one who isn't afraid of Baszler probably partially because she's sort of set up as being a bit mad a bit crazy (laughs) The NXT women's title match goes for nine and a half minutes and uh, Baszler counters a crucifix pin into a choke, uh, which then Cross smiles as she passes out from to win the match. Oh man, your thoughts on this one?
2: Well, we got Nikki Cross comes down. So she's in Sanity. Well, she was. I don't know whether Sanity's a thing or whether they're on the main roster at this point. But yeah, always loves Sanity's music. But they've done a little bit of a jazzed up version of it. So I was a bit disappointed because I was hoping to hear that badass music, but I got to wear Shayna Baszler's badass music. Try not to dwell on this too much, but I watched this, and I was like, what the fucking in hell did they do with Shayna Baszler? There are many people that I look at and I would go, you really fucked up. I think to your point on Ricochet, Tinky is something that you put much better than I ever could. You kind of need a bit from the wrestler as well. But Baszler is just absolute gold. And Nikki Cross in this also made me think. I was like, well, what have they done? This is great. This is really good because the video package, we know what's going to happen. We know Basler's going to win. There is absolutely no doubt. There is no way that they're ending her reign with Nikki Cross winning. But Baszler sells, in particular in the match, the early stages, because Cross kind of tries to go there to put on the... Uh, is it Karakina clutch? And uh yeah, she's kind of go-to it and then she like she turns around so she puts on, then she turns around and makes Bezos um and Bezos selling it like she's got no fucking clue what to do. And that's kind of a little theme through the match. And uh, Tommy mentioned this with Alexa Bliss when we covered the Royal Rumble 2021. Both of these ladies' facial expressions are incredible. And without them, this wouldn't be much. Because as a match, it's it's tidy, it's decent enough. But it's what they're selling. They're selling the whole cross isn't scared. Everyone else is scared. Baszler doesn't really know what to do and how to handle it so it's slightly like knocked off again by it and the end that you touched on tinky where she's got her in the clutch and cross just won't tap out and then she starts smiling and then she passes out it's tremendously done and like you said it's like the tag match is like a four-star match and then it goes up to a five star. this went from like a three-star to a four-star match i just thought it was great it was great just really well done and it made me sad for sheena beasley
3: tom uh, I thought this match was amazing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really, really good. First of all, unlike the other two matches, there's a clearly defined heel and babyface in this match. <laughs> Nikki Cross is clearly the babyface. Shayna Baszler is the heel. Um, I've got hardly any notes on it because I was in it. I was completely descript by it. Um, As you said, old man, they do a great job making Shayna seem completely just perplexed. Just not quite sure what to make of her as well. And the heat on Baszler is amazing. I don't necessarily have a criticism of the ending, but the only thing that took me out of it a little bit is that I feel like she's in the chokehold for a very long time for a chokehold. I think the commentary team could have done a little little bit of a better job may maybe saying like, "So, you know, watched the odd bit of MMA here," and you can have someone in the choke for quite a long time, but it not be properly like cinched in, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think mean, they could have made it like during the period when she's fighting to get to the ropes, they could almost be like she hasn't they, she hasn't quite got it, she hasn't quite got it in yet, and she's fine. and then. Something happens, and then she properly gets it locked in on Nikki Cross, and that's when she then, you know, the fate of black. But I thought the match in itself was was great. I really, really enjoyed it. And to be honest, up to these three matches, this was my favourite match, including how good the other two matches were. I I thought it was great. The visual at the end as well of the of the check through the ropes where Nikki's looking like smiling, looking like absolutely absolutely kind of mental, and then with Shayna Blazer baseless sorry looking evil as well mm-hmm. with the gum shield in and everything like that, just looking yeah. absolutely just evil and choking her to death i thought was was fucking brilliant great match
1: i wanted to laugh at your your misspoken blazer Shayna blazer yeah. but then i worried that wwe might get some ideas and and saddle her with a gimmick which is basically <laughs> she's the woman who comes out in a blazer and i yeah. thought you know what I'm, I'm not gonna laugh because i'm worried for her now i'm worried now you put that yeah. idea out there yeah, I like this. I I didn't. I wasn't quite as up on it, I think, as either of you, but I, I did think it was very good. And again, just different. I think this match was in a position that was always going to be really difficult after what I thought were two excellent, excellent matches. And I thought this might be where the show loses me a bit. It didn't lose me because... They put on a really well told story driven match and it just because it was something different and because they didn't didn't try to compete in terms of flippy stuff or kind of really exciting, fast paced stuff. They just went in a completely different direction. I thought it was an expertly done um, bit of business, to be honest. And I agree when you old man, when you said about Shayna Baszler and what that what have they done to her? Like, I could not agree more. Like she is she's an absolute killer in this mm. in this environment. And again, it, it, it is different to every all the other women as well. Like, it's really, really different in terms of the presentation. And I just, yeah, I don't understand why that's been knocked out of her. Now she's just, she's less impressive. She still does stand out from the rest of the roster, for, from a character perspective, but she doesn't have the same aura about her whatsoever. Nikki Cross is someone, again, again, delighted she's had the career that she's even had up to this point, despite perhaps not being in a particularly great position at this point in time. When you think about her when she was on the independence in the uk 2013 2014 etc you're thinking this this is a british woman it's very unlikely that she will make the wwe main roster or have any significant part to play in pro wrestling because historically that just hasn't been the case she has been though excellent she's had matches like this on stages like this but she's also been up to the main roster she's had a wrestlemania match she's been women's tag team champion she's done fantastically well i hope it continues on for her Mm. and i hope that this current lull in some of the stuff she's doing doesn't continue but if it does and she doesn't really make any more of an impression, she should be very, very satisfied with the the extent to which she's got out of her career. Because, as I say, as a British woman, the odds were against her. Put it that way. The odds were yeah. absolutely against her. As you say, she was in um, Sanity, which I also believe included Killian Dane, who is her real life husband and I think was Big Damo on the British independent circuit. And oh, that's a great name. <laughs> and uh yeah just a very tidy tidy match and i was really impressed that they overcame what i thought was impossible circumstances mm. to hold my attention after the previous two matches
2: yeah and there's also an i love my mummy" sign in the crowd as uh, <laughs> uh as keeler braxton is doing the uh pre entrance like uh preamble which i thought was a lovely little a lovely little sign very nice
1: So before we continue into the rest of the show, let's just take a little bit of a break right there and we'll come back in just a few moments. take over New Orleans, I remembered exactly
3: who Johnny Wrestling is, and I was ready to move forward. Go
1: back, go back, go back. For too long, I was defined by
0: two words, Tomaso Ciampa.
3: My dream since day one is to be the NXT champion.
0: Alistair Black, I am challenging you.
1: And I
3: knew once I beat you, I could do it. I was leaving Full Sail as the new NXT champion. Oh
0: my God! What the hell? Tommaso Ciampa brutally attacking Johnny Gargano! Maybe in your fairy tale world you actually believed I wasn't coming back. Oh my God! Tommaso Ciampa had different plans. Somebody's to just like in Chicago. Johnny Wrestling is gone. I win. While my husband's future may be uncertain, you will know that Johnny Gargano was better than you.
3: But you know that that boy you call a husband isn't half the man that I am. You put her in harm's way. You live with that. This thing was personal since day one. But you brought Candace into this? A
0: street fight? I'm done with this. And be done. This is a signed contract for Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Champa 2 in a street fight. Take over Chicago, going back to where this thing first started. We're not confined by that wrestling ring. Johnny wrestling. I'm not coming to Chicago to wrestle. I'm coming to beat the hell out of you. Johnny Gargano may have won the battle, but I will always win the war. Tell mom, tell dad, tell life, tell them all to stay home. Things are gonna get ugly.
1: Last time we were in Chicago, I left in an ambulance, and I'm gonna make sure you
3: leave the same exact
0: way. Wait,
1: So, welcome back to the show. Uh, We've got two more matches to cover and, of course, the game, which I hope hope Old Man has prepared for. Of course I have. I'm a fucking professional. Sorry,
2: I forget. I forget every time.
1: (laughs) We get a little clip of EC3 and Keith Lee in the crowd before the coming NXT title match.
2: Do you think that is the first time they've ever shown two people in the crowd at NXT TakeOver as a rhyming couplet?
1: (laughs) EC3 and Keithley, maybe.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> maybe EC3 is rhyming slang for Keithley.
2: Yeah, or I'm just going to go for an EC3.
1: <laughs> Indeed. We then get a hype video for Alistair Black's title defence against Lars Sullivan. Sullivan seems to have been given the monster push. He also sounds, his voice also sounds like a, a lot like Corey Graves over in here. I was like, is yes. Corey Graves doing the voice over here? No, it is actually Sullivan himself. The match itself goes for 14 minutes and ends when Black hits the Black Mass. But Sullivan gets up to one knee and then Sullivan, and then he hits a second Black Mass for the pin. Uh, Tom, let's ask you about your thoughts on this one.
3: Uh, do you know why Lars Sullivan and Corey Graves sound like each other? Because one's from the Colorado Rockies and the other one's from Pennsylvania. So nowhere near (laughs) each other. That'll be it. So, uh, very good, very enjoyable a um, couple of little notes on the entrances because you know that's really what I watch wrestling for I really like the, the cool visual behind the, the spotlight um, behind of uh, Lars Sullivan mm. which is a, kind of a, a rare instance in wrestling where apart from with the old the old Albert rule it's probably good to be a little bit hairy because it gives the lights something to reflect off of also Alistair Black obviously comes up and he's like sorry old man's gone
2: um, it's just the thought of an Albert rule <laughs> <laughs> where they're like hairy and they're like oh, that's the Albert rule in place <laughs>
1: It's like the big E rule, which is you can't have too much leg on show. That's, this is yeah. the Albert <laughs> rule, where you can't have too much uh, too much body hair.
3: Unless unless these circumstances line up, and yeah. therefore the Albert rule is in place. Um, also, Alistair Blackwell come, he, he kind of like gets raised up, doesn't he? Like lifts up. How long do you reckon he lays on that board for? Like, do you reckon, because obviously they can't do it like during the middle of like before the match, because they want to be like, oh, there's Alistair coming for his little lay down on his board. Like, do you reckon he lays there from like, the beginning of the show, Like, door's open, get on your board. Slid I never thought about that it's like your legs have gone all numb by the time he gets up because he can't move or do you reckon they like sneak about during the last match or during maybe Lars Lever's entrance Or
1: they've certainly done stuff in the past where people have disappeared under the ring and had to stay under the ring until the end of the show so it wouldn't surprise me
3: <laughs> I don't know if it would be or if you needed a shit or a wank oh. <laughs> <laughs> um you're right, they've given Lars Sullivan, the old monster. Again, a, a Lars versus an Alistair. That sounds more like a kind of cross-English and Scandinavian parliamentary debate rather than <laughs> you know, rather than an actual wrestling match. Um, I reckon it was probably the quietest the crowd had been for the entire show during periods of this match. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's because it's bad, but I think that they do a really good job in just slowing the pace down a little bit at certain points. And there are some pretty impressive power moves from... Sullivan, because Alistair Black, he's a small guy. He's quite 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 a big guy. There was a really good bit that I liked um in the build-up to the end of the match, where Lyle Sullivan's going for a spear, and Alistair Black jumps over him and then lands with a double foot stomp on his back, which I thought was really cool. And then... They slightly botch a black mass. And I think the commentary team do a very good job at kind of saying that because been, he's been working over his leg. Um, Alistair Black's have been having his leg worked over. And they say he hasn't quite been able to connect because his leg gave out. And then Big Lars kicks out of it. And I really like the fact that it took two black masses to, to beat him at the end. And I really like the fact that they didn't hit him with one black mass and then go for the pin and then Sullivan kick out. I thought it was just quite a a good bit of booking because it protects both the finish of the Black Mass and Lars Sullivan as being someone who's really hard who can take it. So I thought that was quite good that he does one, gets up, gets another one, fucking have it done. I thought it was a good match. I, I quite enjoyed it. It's not up to the high standards, I felt, of the previous three matches, but it was still very good. We're four for four at
2: the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I was really surprised by this. So I have never watched a Lars Sullivan match. So it starts off, he's got badass music. And then I notice that he's wearing offensively high pants, and almost aggressively offensive, but not quite as aggressively offensive as his views on homosexuals, women and people who aren't white. So I kind of like, I, I'm going in, to be honest, I start watching this match and I'm like, don't like this guy sexist racist doesn't like gay people don't like him
1: shall i um do another wikipedia yeah quotation.
2: Go on, then. Get so your Wiki out. in may
1: 2019 it was revealed that miley which is the surname of lara sullivan in real life had used multiple accounts on the bodybuilding.com forum to write what sports illustrated described as a slew of racist sexist homophobic and otherwise offensive posts between 2007 and 2013. Some of the posts were directed towards WWE employees and were written after Miley had joined WWE. Paste wrote that the post showed a long history of repeated behavior and noted that some of them had insulted foreigners and the mentally ill. In response to the accusations, Miley stated, there is no excuse for this inappropriate remarks that I made years ago. They do not reflect my personal beliefs nor who I am today and I apologize to anyone I offended. He was fined $100,000 by WWE and required to complete sensitivity training seven months later it was revealed that he had performed in homosexual pornographic films under the name mitch bennett years earlier
3: that i did not read that when i read this when i read his wikipedia page earlier that is amazing you talk about levels of self-loathing fuck me i mean he's obviously clearly yeah. mentally ill but Sorry, I probably shouldn't have found that last sentence as enjoyable
2: as I did. I think to be honest, I think you're well getting your rights to laugh at that, because there's a there's a level of just shit houseery in there that he's displayed that you know what, if he got bummed on tape for money, having said Wilt for,
1: Wilt Wilt for Wilt Terry Funk.
2: You-, <laughs> you can't you can't tar these people with the same brush, because Terry Funk got bummed on camera,
3: as Tinky said, and he hasn't gone on to say to loads of these horrific <laughs> things has he? So, well,
2: he may have done, to be fair, wouldn't surprise me. Some of the mad shit that Terry Funk comes out with. Anyway, let's uh, let's get back to the uh, match at hand. So this is the first, and to my memory, only Lars Sullivan match I've ever watched. And I can see why they were so high on him. I can see why they liked him. Because he's uh, got some big strength moves, but he's also got, and Nigel McGuinness says this, and I fucking hate myself for using the phrase, but I can't think of how else to put it. He's got a good ring IQ. He seems to know his way around the wrestling ring, and also another ring, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah really really very good um, he is only wearing one knee pad which caught me off guard so why is he only wearing one knee pad he's um, fallen
1: foul of the big e rule there I'm
2: afraid. yeah alistair black is very good he he is very much the sideshow i think to this match and the aim is to to tommy's point at the end to tommy's point on tommy end At the end of the match, Tommy End hits the two black masses, which are protected because of the way that Tommy End covers Lars Sullivan at the end. And then he does another black mass when Lars Sullivan is on his knees. And then he black masses him while he's on his knees. And then it's all done. And then Alistair Black gets to leave the ring as the champion. Lovely old job. Gets to move on with his life. Great stuff. Enjoyed it. And as Tommy said, we are four for four. I do agree with Tom as well. I think this is probably the weakest of the four, but there's three very good matches. One incredible match that has preceded this. So it was everything that I wanted. Not more, but it was what I wanted.
1: Uh, I like this match more than I thought I would, definitely. I was really not Hmm. thinking this match would be any good at all. Didn't know anything about Lars Sullivan. I'll get into Alex to Black in a minute. But with Sullivan, I just, when you said I can see why they like him, oh man, I thought, yeah, because he's big. And that yeah. really feels to me like the reason I like him, because I didn't think he was that great. I thought he was okay, but I just felt like there are better big men than Lara Sullivan. Quite a lot of better big men than Larry hmm. Sullivan. Sullivan had the feel of someone who, if he had been around in the 70s and early 80s, would have been massive, would have been a big star. But wrestling's moved on, in my view, mm. and he is not really, I don't think, somebody who looks or feels like a wrestler from the 21st century. He's just got this kind of, I don't know, like, there's a there's not a lot of impact in what he mm. does. So he's not a, an agile big man, but he's also, I didn't really feel like that much of a power big man. Mm. He was sort of lacking just a little bit of impact and intensity for me that I was a bit disappointed by. But in general, this was a much better match than I thought. Alistair Black. So uh, you guys have been quite high on Alistair Black and I don't dislike him at Mm -hmm. all. I've seen a lot of his matches before he went to WWE and I like those matches. But when he goes into WWE and this kind of stretches into the wider problem, I think in WWE actually, is that there's a lot of guys like him in that, He's a guy who wears black pants, kick pads, and has got like facial hair. And there's loads of those people. There are just loads of them. And it feels in some ways that that's all they've got. So Alistair Black's got this kind of, I don't know, vague sense of mystery around him in his character. But it's so vague that it's very hard to hold on to. Like You're like, well... But what is the mystery? Where is the mystery? Mm -hmm. It's just, it's really, really vague. And so he just comes across for me like any number of other guys that are in very similar positions, both in NXT and in the WWE main roster. And so I don't mind him, but again, I just find it a little bit nondescript. How was he
3: presented in? like progress for
1: example similar to this i guess the difference in progress is that it's nearly all about wrestling mm. there's not there isn't a heavily heavy reliance on storyline there, there has been some great storylines but there's not quite the heavy reliance on storyline or character that there is in wwe and that wwe really requires and so again i just i feel like i'm struggling to hold on or grab on to anything with Alistair black it just feels like he's just there he's doing his thing and it's good but i don't
3: really care about mm. him. deep do you think that, like, so do you think just in that in that environment where it is, you know, more, as you said, not storyline-based, it would thrive, it needs to go either one of two ways, either it needs to be in a promotion that's fully, as you said, wrestling-based like Progress or, or mainly wrestling-based like Progress or in New Japan or something like that, or go the other way and really lean into something to be I successful see. in WWE? I think to be successful in WWE, he needs
1: to have something other than the fact that he's a great martial artist. If you like, that's the ideas and does his kicks right in a, company that focuses on the in-ring, that style sets him apart a little more Mm -hmm. because nobody else, or very few people, have that style, so his wrestling style sets him apart more in a company that focuses more on wrestling but WWE doesn't stand out enough, it's just, and I'm looking, I put Finn Balor into the exact same category as Alistair Black like, what are you about? There's this vague sense of mystery, but that's, it's so vague, there's nothing to, there's nothing to actually get your teeth into, there's nothing to base story lines on it's just kind of oh, occasionally becomes the demon and it just doesn't do anything for me
2: it's interesting Alistair Black is one of these guys I think who would have benefited greatly from a manager there are so many people like this because it then like you said it enables them to become a character and also learn like what that character is whilst they're being managed by someone and they're kind of being the mouthpiece and they're setting the scene like The Undertaker. I can't remember if we've had this conversation on the podcast or away from the pod, but the lack of managers does my head in now because there's such an easy way for people who aren't maybe that capable in getting their character across to get their character across. Like I watched a Rusev match Ages ago, About I don't know, about I say ages ago, about five or six months ago, and it was from when he was reasonably early in his WWE run. And the only reason that he becomes anything is because of Lana. That's the only reason. Because he is dirt. He is really not good. Not good in the ring. Not very good on the mic because he's obviously just doing that. He's just basically doing a bit, a bit of shouting at the end of the line. And it's like, you can do so much with a manager. And it's just like, well, it showed with Andrade. As soon as they took Selena Vega away from him in WWE, they have a clear what to do with him because Andrade wasn't a character. He was, to your point, Tiggy, he was just a good wrestler. I think there's probably an argument to say that Andrade is a little bit better in ring than Alistair Black, in particular WWE style that they seem to have. But just him on his own just doesn't work
1: i I, I also think that there is a in and this is in all wrestling in 2021 an over fixation with just the wrestling side of wrestling Mm -hmm. Uh, this is a massive like and you see it in actually in all of the NXT takeover shows (laughs) i think is the sense that there's no there are for example there are no backstage interviews during the show and I think those things that we've discussed before, I think that's so important because you want to get the motivation for why they want to win the match, or you want to get what they thought about having lost the match afterwards, whatever it is. But there's none of that. And it's all about what happens in the ring. And we can sit here and go, oh, the tag team match is amazing. The, the ricochet versus Velveteen Dream is amazing, et cetera. And they do in this show, in fairness, they do a great job of incorporating lots of story to what they're doing. So it doesn't show up so much, but, it's not just a problem in NXT. It's a problem in WWE. It's a problem often in AEW. find there's too much of a fixation on the in-ring... And not just a fixation from the promotions, but from the fans, they're all kind of like, oh, this guy's amazing. He's so good in the ring. Yeah. But what does he do? What What does he bring? What's mm. what makes him interesting to watch and to invest in so that when he gets in the ring, I care if he wins or loses. And I think that is what's happened here is that there's an over over fixation on the fact that Alistair Black is a really great wrestler, which he is. But there's nothing else.
2: I forgot to raise this when we were talking about ECW One Night Stand uh, 2005, which is available in the archives for anybody who hasn't heard it. So I was really intrigued and I haven't done it for this show. I was really intrigued by how much wrestling is on the show because we all three of us love that show. Absolutely. It marks very highly. Excellent. Very enjoyable. Runs for I think it's about two and a half hours from memory. 48 minutes of wrestling. on that show i then looked uh we'd uh cover judgment day 2007 i think either the week or a couple of weeks previous i just just interested to see it's like an hour and 18 minutes of wrestling and the show is the same length and it's a very interesting thing because i know ecw1 it sounds a bit of an anomaly because of what it is and you have like the segment at the end with Austin and the WWE and the ECW guys and the Paul Heyman bit and the RVD bit as well. But it did really make me think because I didn't want to say it when we were reviewing the show because I didn't want it to come across as a criticism because it wasn't. It was really like this isn't solely about the wrestling. I think on this card it works perfectly. But I completely agree on the last WWE pay-per-views that I have watched that aren't uh, a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam, it really, yeah, when they're just going from match to match, it's a bit of a slog because you're kind of putting the dots together yourself because they're not very well done.
1: It's also a problem when it's a promotion that doesn't actually big up the sports element of it. Mm-hmm. So if if you have a promotion that focuses on the sports element of the pro wrestling, every match actually ends up meaning something because they're all fighting for something. It's either the rankings or it's a title or, or whatever. If you do not do that, like WWE do not do, they have never bigged up the sports aspect of it. You can't go match to match to match because none of them, they only have the context of which they live in the storyline as opposed to the sport, and so it's you can't really do it to compare the two matches. Oh man, you said two and a half hour show for ECW One Night Stand, 45 minutes effectively of wrestling. Yeah, this is the same length show. It has an hour and 45 minutes of wrestling. Yeah, so stark the difference. Now yeah. again, I agree with you. It works in this show, but it, this is a general trend. And mm. for me, it's an over. What it also does is it means that everybody's over-reliant or all the promotions are over-reliant on making wrestlers do more and more stuff and wear down their bodies more and more mm. I, i'm all about wrestling being as efficient as it can be in terms of people's health and if therefore you can tell a great story and then have a match like Shayna blazer blazer i've done it now Shayna blazer <laughs> and nikki cross have where neither of them take really any bumps throughout the whole match that's the optimal ideal, because you've got people caring, people are interested, it's a good match, but they don't have to go through too much pain, they don't have to take too many bumps. It's the ideal for me, and that's what I think this current, the, the world we live in right now doesn't do, is optimise the amount of punishment the wrestlers take for valuable content. Mm. Okay, so we move on. So we have an advert for the last man standing match at Money in the Bank, which is set to take place between AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura. Not not Tom's daughter, Shinsuke Nakamura. Understand? <laughs> uh, the, the wrestler. Um, we then have "Uncomfortable" by Hellstorm, is shown as being the official theme of this NXT Takeover show. Although they did also talk about Fozzy Fozzy song earlier in the show as well. So I, did, I was <clears> confused. <throat> I didn't know which one was the actual official theme. We also then get a, another kind of advert immediately after Takeover. Triple H will be talking on Facebook. I don't know what about, presumably just the show and whether it was any good or uh, not.
2: Apparently, he's talking about his dick. Okay. You know, just two, two hours talking about his dick, which <laughs> which was a turnout for everyone.
1: That's such a shame that we, weren't, uh, we were watching this three years after it happened then. Yeah. Then there's a hype video for Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa, which is our main event, which will be a street fight between the two long-time rivals. And we see before the match, uh, Johnny Gargano's wife, Candice LeRae, giving Gargano a a crutch and tells him to kick Champa's ass. Any notes on all of the relevant bits and pieces
3: here? I like the promo video. Let me know exactly what was going on and how it happened. I kind of had a vague idea of what the storyline was, but um, I thought it was quite good. It shows the, the story arc of an entire year. An entire ear? <laughs> oh, yeah. Entire ears worth of storyline. <laughs> entire ears worth of storyline. I'd say my ear was full up after that. Um, an <laughs> entire years worth of storyline. I thought it was very good. So I like the fact that you can probably always rely on this match in a similar way, you can always rely on a match between Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, because they've got so much history that you can just be like, Oh yeah, they're they're interacting with each other again don't you know I mean we need something to do with them with will chuck them together we know they can have a good match and the crowd will always be into it so, well could he go to like, the entrances bit? The yeah you said uh, so um, Johnny Gargano's wife comes on gives him a little crutch for good luck I'm not quite sure what the significance of that is because um, I didn't really explain it
2: so Tomasio Champa injures his knee and then comes back and he's like on his crutch he's on his crutch and then he beats Gargano with the crutch and it becomes kind of like a thing that they use through their feud Right. So in in many ways, it's the crutch feud. Yeah, nice. And then so when and then when Tommaso Ciampa comes out, it's no
3: entrance music, which I quite liked. He's got his own little crutch that he's decorated himself. <laughs> <Come> on, <laughs> yeah. Crutch up. No crutch up. Now I don't know about you guys. If I absolutely hated someone and I plan on taking a weapon, I definitely made sure I matched my trousers. <laughs> which, is, which is what Tommaso
2: Ciampa does. Also, Johnny Gargano's music is awful. Mm, weird. Mm. Always weird. I found his music. He's changed it now. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. So the match itself
1: is an epic at 35 and a half minutes in length. I have two pages of notes on this match, but I'm not going to read them out. I am literally going to go straight to the end where basically Tomasa Champa, who is in handcuffs by this point, manages to DDT Johnny Gargano on a portion of the ring, which has been uncovered to expose the wooden floor beneath um, and gets the pinfall. To win the match. Old man, let's go with you because I have a feeling you might also be able to provide us with a bit more context than myself or Tom will be able to
2: provide. Cool. So this goes back to the first NXT Takeover Chicago, which is where uh DIY, which is the team of Tommaso champa and Johnny Gargano, are fighting in the main event for the NXT tag team titles. And they're kind of like, they're reluctant bedfellows, but they form a decent tag team, and they're getting on. And I. Uh... The theme running through is that Champa doesn't actually want to team with Gargano, even though they're best mates, they're best mates in real life. Champa was Gargano's best man at his wedding. So everyone knows their mates. But he uh, he gives him a shirt and it's got DIY on there. And it's like, ah, oh, lovely, they're a proper good team. And then they lose the main event and then Champa turns on Gargano, beats him up. As Tommy said, it's been an year-long feud. So uh, you've got the lobe involved. We're at the lobe stage in this because Champa. Blows out his knee. I think it's only about maybe three or four weeks after he turns on Gargano and then he's out for nine months. So that's why it's been building for so long. And they've had a match before and I can't remember what it was. I'll be honest, when I was going into this match, I knew it was going to go for at least half hour because that was what they were doing that was kind of how they did it, and it's kind of how NXT seem to do their main events. They'll give them a good 25 minutes minimum, probably half hour. And I was a little bit, a little bit concerned, to be honest, because I didn't know. I think the, both these guys are great. They're great. I've seen a fair, a decent portion of their matches in NXT, and they're very good. This is unbelievable. I thought, I thought personally, because it, it's paced brilliantly because Champa doesn't rush anything he is in absolutely no rush and they kind of work with each other because Gargano like in the hype video Champa has hit Candice LeRae so Gargano's wife so Gargano is understandably furious but he's waited until takeover to get his retribution I'd have probably whacked him on the street but yeah it's just they pace it really well. There's some great spots. There's a guy dressed as a referee in the crowd. There's a dude screaming, you're the devil, Champa." He really, really believes that he is the devil. Uh, there's a bit where Johnny Gargano takes off his belt to whip Champa with, like a government mule, as JR would say, which I hate people being whipped with belts. Don't like people being whipped with anything, to be honest but belts in particular in wrestling context. But then the crowd chant, you deserve it. And I note on the crowd, I think if they were any hotter for this, the building would have melted because they are—they were almost as into it as I was, I think. And it's just tremendously done. There's the end sequence that Tinky talks about. So there's a little bit before where Champa is taking Gargano out to buy the entrance and they climb up on some boxes. And he's, he's got ill intentions and he takes off Johnny Gargano's wedding ring looks at it spits on it and then throws it. I hope it's not his genuine wedding ring because I don't know whether they would have found it. But it's just such a, for want of a bit, it's such a cunt move. And then Gargano picks him up, does the little little like holding him on his back and then falling backwards, which looks incredible. And then Gargano gets the old stretcher spot. Uh sorry, Champa gets the stretcher spot. And Gargano climbs up onto the uh, box as he's just looking down and he's he's gone. He's a psychopath. And then he eventually commandeers the stretcher that Ciampa is on. And this is where it really like amps up because they get a lot of guys from the back involved. And it works, but I'm not, I'm never really a big fan of lots of people coming down to try and, like, stop these things happening. But they get it perfectly because, like, the whole thing is, like, Gargano's kind of, like, in a trance, in particular for this little end segment. And they just pace it brilliantly where he's not, he's not losing his mind. He's just slowly, like, dismantling these people that have come down. Like, eventually, like, he tries to get in the ring, but not in this, like, manic frenzied attack way. He's like kind of being held back and he's I've like, ah, enough starts whacking people. And then you get the little surprise DDT at the end. And it just ends 35 minutes of absolutely wonderful old stuff. And I was so very impressed with it and a little bit proud of them because at the end, I didn't know the end, genuinely caught me by surprise. And I just thought, brilliant, absolutely right. And I love the fact that at the end of the show, Gargano, so Candice comes down, people are coming down to look at Gargano and it just fades to black. There's nothing, just fades to black. I like thought, tremendous old job.
3: Thomas? Uh, so after uh, going into this match, I think I'd already seen it as I said earlier. But I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. I thought it would be very good, um, but I couldn't remember too much of it. So I can remember the ending, but I obviously can't remember, I obviously didn't couldn't remember too much of it. And I wasn't expecting to enjoy it more than I did the women's match, if I'm being honest. But fuck me, did I ever. There's some really great bits in it, like... There's a couple of really cool spots. There's a bit, obviously, they're playing on the fact that Johnny Gargano's got a bad neck and's had his neck injured in the past. The spot where they put the chair over his head and then ram him into the steel steps. Whilst being very safe, I think, looking at it, looks brutal. There's the spring, like Johnny Gargano does like a springboard into a bin lid shot, which is yeah. just timed to perfection. Um, and that kind of cuts into two things two kind of themes throughout this, this match. Every time Gargano looks like he's... Until the end, right at the end, every time Gargano's about to make a comeback, it's cut off perfectly. It's brilliant. And it's almost like his desperation gets the better of him and Tommaso Ciampa is then able to, to capitalise on it. And the thing that I like about it, which, and to be fair, the commentary team really do hammer home as well, there's hardly any pinfalls and there's hardly any, like, there's no wrestling, there's no rest holes, no nothing in it because that's not what this match requires. It's like going back to the complete opposite of what we were talking about at uh, um, Slambury 2000, where Lex Luger's wife has been or Mrs has been kidnapped, and then there's a little pose in the ring at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> there's none of that. It's just straight to the point. Um, bit of an annoying chant from the crowd at one point. We want tables. Yes. There's been enough. This match doesn't need tables to satisfy you. It did my head in. That you have
1: no idea how much that pissed me off. I because I every time I hear that I I hate it. Don't matter what match you're involved in. I'm like, why the fuck do you have to chant that? And they do it during there's a period in the Dudley's career where they basically do it 30 seconds into every match that they're in, and you're like, "Fuck sake, guys, just let them fucking have a match, yeah? yeah." But in this, I was like, "You're 20 minutes in, you've just had every fucking thing you could possibly yeah. want. Why the fuck are you chanting? We want tables, you utter cunts." I was yeah. really angry with it.
3: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that at all. Um, the bit when they towards the end, so they're kind of going home, sort of. They they get up to so they're, they're kind of fighting up the ramp or it'll, Tommaso Chappa's dragging God up the ramp. And the ref is saying, come on, that's enough, that's enough. And he's saying, it's not enough. You don't know what it is. You don't know, they don't know, pointing to the crowd. This is between me and him. I'll say when it's enough. I thought I was brilliant. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Then as old man said, there is a spot for a table. So the the entitled cunts get what they want. Um, (laughs) And then they did start doing the the stretcher job. And Champa's beard tufting through the neck brace. (laughs) (laughs) I really enjoyed that the bit with all the people running down was good I always love seeing an official get hit it will always make <laughs> a good job. so do we their handcuffs are not efficient in the slightest are they Chains changed <laughs> no. far too long as I've said I've seen it before and yet the ending didn't catch me off guard but I was fucking gutted at the end of it, mm. despite the fact that I'd already seen it and I knew what's happened. That old Man and I briefly spoke yesterday. I said to him, I think I've seen this match. Is it the one with the, where he pulls the ring up and he, he DDT's him and you were like, I don't, he, he wouldn't let me know. But obviously, I knew that happened at the end. And just when he when he pins him, I was just so deflated. And mm. I guess similar to, to Old Man's point, it's a fucking ballsy way to end the pay-per-view on that flat note. Mm. You know what I mean? Everything's gearing up for them to And it doesn't feel like it to me. The storytelling is done so well in the match. It doesn't feel like a ha ha we outsmarted you. You thought he was going to win didn't you. It doesn't feel like it. it seems completely natural. And I think it's a great
2: a great match. It, it also murders the crowd. Like the crowd the air is sucked out of them.
1: It is an amazing match. It's a it's a great piece of work. The first 15 to 17 minutes is very similar to a typical wwe main event they have lots of these kinds of matches where they have it's a hardcore match falls count anywhere match no holds barred extreme rules they all amount to effectively the same thing it's this kind of first 15 minutes of this match where they use the the chairs where they use the bin lids and they use the trash can they use the they fight through the crowd it's very kind of par the course wwe main event but still very entertaining. The the 20 minutes after that is just fabulous. It's all kind of story based stuff. Very, very, very good indeed. I, there's not a lot I can say to build upon what you guys have said, to be honest, because it is all the things you've said. Um, the end is fantastic. It really was. I hadn't seen this before, so I had not watched this match before. I It's kind of patchy. I kind of know bits and pieces about what happened during this feud and I kind of know a little bits about what happened afterwards I kind of know how it, I I definitely watched the show where it started um mm-hmm. I had definitely watched that when Tommaso Ciampa actually turns on Gargano, there's lots of gaps as well. And this is obviously one of those gaps. And yeah, I just thought it was very, very good. And the way I read the bit at the end, or near the end, where Tommaso Ciampa spits on his wedding ring, and the bit that you talked about, Tom, where Tommaso Ciampa says, you don't know, none of these people know. I was like, is there then something else that then is revealed to us about this relationship? Because I understand that Gargano turns heel not so long after this and I was kind of like there's a bit where Champa does the air raid crash sorry Gargano does the air raid crash through the table bit up on the stage you know where they're in the crowd and whatnot which is brutal and uh, ends with Champa being started to be carted out the bit where he then is going no no that's not the end and he starts to attack him I was kind of like this is almost like the bit where he goes further than he should do Mm and so it's almost the beginning of that heel turn and so that was amazing as well I was just like you know this if that builds into then where they go next which is obviously with uh, eventually i don't know if it's soon after this or a year after this but at some point gargano turns hill and if this is where it starts then that is fabulous because that's exactly kind of where it should start that's the beginning of the of the descent into this kind of obsession almost with going further and further and further brilliant so i i really enjoyed all that stuff yeah it's just a really really very good match
2: I'm glad you mentioned that, and you, Tommy, where he's saying, like, you don't know. This had echoes, I think it's the time, obviously, it takes as well, but this reminded me of Hogan Savage, just how they're kind of dripping things in, and, like, what I was saying about when they're a tag team, and you're kind of never sure if they're actually going to Coexist as a tag team, and they, this goes on for a considerable amount of time. I think, where they're a tag team, they're in the Dusty Invitational Tournament. I think, and uh, it's just really long-term storytelling that they just don't do often enough. Mm. Not everything can go for a year we know that or longer or even six months which is great and this is why people beat themselves senseless over at nxt because it, they're capable of doing this and wwe are capable of farting in a cup it seems <laughs> <laughs> so let's do
1: our overall summary of our thoughts on the show uh rating out of 10 our mvp of the night uh let's start with you tom
3: uh, so, my um, match of the night is the main event. I, I wanted it to be the women's match, and I, as I said, to all intents and purposes, until the main event, it would have been, but I, um, yeah, that's what I'm going with. My MVP of the night is tough, because I tried, you know, I did think about it whilst we were doing this pay well, this view whilst I was watching it, I did think to myself, the, the thing about the MVP is that it's usually someone who does something daft, and there wasn't any of that on this show. It's very serious. It's a very serious show.
1: It's usually someone daft doing something daft for you,
3: Tom. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there wasn't any of that. So I'm actually going to give my MVP to Big Vic on comms uh, because I thought he was very good. And thank fucking Christ, Mauro Ranello wasn't there because I would not have enjoyed the pay-per-view as much if he was. <laughs> and my overall rating, i giving it an eight.
2: Very good. Jeez so my match of the night is also the main event and so mvp i was torn i have gone for big vic but i was going to go for Lars sullivan's pea brain for being such a stupid twat but i also i didn't want to give him any sort of rub i mean this is this is a great show this is an absolutely tremendous show this is the best show i have watched in a long time a long long time so i'm giving it a nine because i think so i was edging eight or nine and then the end of the main event swung it to be honest it's i think if one of sorry probably the men's title match if that had been a little notch higher it would have been a 10 i think Mm. because it would have been perfect but yeah it's just tremendous go on NXT. nxt 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 (laughs) you deserve this we want tables
1: prick um (laughs) so i'm giving it an eight and i kind of feel a little bit bad because i think maybe old man's right maybe it should be a nine i just the the main event for me is why it's not a nine and i i thought it was really great i just i think watching out of context takes a notch off of it i imagine if you know this storyline well and you're in it especially at the time if you've been watching week on week and you're so in it at that point it's out of this world i'm absolutely certain yeah. of that but i don't know about it really i know bits and know gap but there are so many gaps for me and i just don't it doesn't just it just doesn't hold the same thing for me but also i did a little bit of reading about kind of what happens after this feud and i know that later on they team together again Not too long after. And I'm like, look, you just add a year, in fact, more than a year long feud between these guys where they literally went to the depths of what you can hate someone for. It's only three years ago that you did it you shouldn't these guys should not be together in that time they should not have come back together at any point even just for a one-off at any point during that mo- that point in time because that is just that undercuts for me everything you do I can't see I mean again I don't know what the circumstances behind it were so maybe there's a good way of explaining it away but to me it feels feels wrong it just doesn't feel right
2: well from my memory this as you said, this Gargano like reflective sat on the little box and then going nuts. That is the start of how he kind of goes to the other side and goes heel. And I believe, and I'm very happy to be corrected, that they both stay heel and that Gargano goes so far the other way that he comes round to Champa's way of thinking. Because I believe Champa becomes NXT champion, not... That long after this And it's kind of like That's what I wanted And you were in my way And that's why I did what I did And it's what Gargano wants as well So they kind of get around it. I do agree that it's a bit flimsy, but as I noted in it, people know that they're best friends in real life. So I think that's why this feud resonates and why maybe they probably got a pass from the fans on reconciling as well. But as you said, to your point, watched in isolation, you don't get that.
1: Yeah. And that kind of feeling kind of seeped into the rest of my feeling about the show and why, again, I don't quite hit the nine with it is that right now, this is three years ago, and presumably at this point in time, people are thinking, wow, soon, Johnny Gargano, Tomasa Champa, Adam Cole, Kyler Riley, possibly Roderick Strong, and um, certainly Alistair Black, which does happen, but certainly those previous ones I mentioned, they'll all be on the main event, main, main roster soon. Surely they're they're already in main events every week. They're already having nine star matches, nine star, five star matches every, every single time they come out. Like they're going to be on the main roster soon. They've never made it. None of them, none of them are on the main roster It's really odd. They are still doing effectively the same great matches that they were having yes. back then now, but they kind of surely Gargano and Champa in particular have done the only feud that's going to define them in nxt they're never going to have anything bigger or more valuable than this so surely there's only one way to them way for them to go which is up to the main roster and i admittedly i'm sure people don't want them to because they probably won't get as much value out of it but at the same time you're kind of like well where is there for you to go now you are, you, you know you've done this right there's nothing mm-hmm. left for you so that was also a strange thing for me and i don't i don't know if that means that they're not like they, they don't want to go they don't want to go up to the main roster maybe that's part of it but i just feel like you know where do you where do you go after this so i and i said my my match of the night is the first match is the tag team match i thought the tag team match was just so phenomenal and much more up my street like it, as i said the first 15 minutes of the main event was kind of like any other wwe main event where they put they bolted an extreme rules stipulation on it it was a great match but i just didn't think it was quite as as fantastic as the main event i just uh sorry it's the it's the, it's the opener i thought the opener was just phenomenal and i'm going to be in the minority in terms of that so i give it an eight mvp i genuinely have no idea there are too many candidates in truth i want to give it to velveteen dream because i really like the character i just was really impressed Mm. by that and it's something that they're missing i think though because given his indiscretions afterwards i'm going to give it to the person who's booking the show because what i do like about the show in terms of the booking is that alistair black and Shayna Baszler are both new champions. They're both newly champions after the previous NXT takeover. And they are being set up for their first title defense here. And in both cases, you're almost certain that they're not going to lose. That there's no real... It, it, there's no, no one expecting Nikki Cross or... What is face to win? Uh, Lara Sullivan to win their matches, and so what they've done is they set up something slightly different. And in particular with the women's title match, they've not given Shayna Baszler just a woman that she's going to beat and it's going to be easy. They've given her a different kind of a different, a little bit of a twist on what she should get from her first title defence, which makes the almost certainty that she's going to win just ever so slightly doubted and I think hmm. that's really really clever um so I'm going to give it to that person I don't know who that is and it's the second time in a in a, in a row where I've given it to somebody yeah. who I don't actually know who the person is that is the MVP but I just I just thought that was really impressive
2: I reckon it's Terry Taylor dressed as the Red Rooster
1: I hope so I hope he was yeah but yeah I don't want to, I, I feel like I've concentrated too much on the negativity during that summary but the reason I've done that is because I've been so positive throughout the show that I mm. kind of just didn't want to miss that that part of it, which is like I don't really know why nothing's changed since this yes. point. Yeah, three years, and the only the only thing that have changed are people who've been released since. So that's yes. the Black and Velveteen Dream no longer with the company, um, nor is Lara Sullivan. Now before we get to the game, which this week is in the capable hands of Old Man, as we said earlier on, uh, just a little encouragement to rate us and review us wherever you get your podcast. Five stars would be optimal, though obviously that would be six stars in the Tokyo Dome.
2: Yes. So man the game well we've taken our first walk down the nxt path and we watched a main event as you're prone to do when you watch a wrestling show (laughs) so i am looking for any wrestler who has main evented an nxt takeover (sighs) pay-per-view type thing so there are 43 in total now there are obviously there are war games, there are tag matches and that that have done these things. I am looking for individuals only, so no uh no tag team names, although fortunately going through it, only about three of the uh tag teams actually have tag team names as their primary identifiers so as i said forty three and there have been thirty four takeover main events. So it's a nice little bit of a nice little bit of opposite with the numbers as well, which pleased me.
1: I got a feeling this might be a good chance for Tom here because I think he yes. may have watched, he may have watched more of them than me, um, mm. which really wouldn't surprise me because I haven't watched a huge amount of them.
2: Well, because his initials in the name, we're going to go with you, Tinky.
1: Okay, I will start then with Tommaso Champa. <laughs>
2: Masso Champa. He's not on the Ah, oh, of course he is. Yes. <laughs> I'm okay with Johnny Gargano. Yes. It's a stretch, I oh, know. <laughs> uh
1: Finn Balor.
2: Finley Balor, Tinky's favourite. Yes. This is it takeovers only? Yes. Um I'm going to go with uh Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn? So good they named him once. Sami Zayn.
1: Uh Kevin Owens.
2: KO KO <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow
2: yeah um, Adam Cole Baby
1: I was going to say that's not his full name <laughs> yeah um, Samoa Joe
2: Samoa Joseph correct uh, Shinsuke Nakamura yeah the baby girl herself Shinsuke Nakamura <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know you're actually going to have to consider that now as a name <laughs> uh, Neville
2: Neville well I Neville 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 um, Bo Dallas, Joseph Dallas. No, hang on. I'm not sure. He was in a ladder match in the very,
3: in the very first NXT takeover for the title, with, or the second one with in the main event with Adrian Neville.
1: Neville, Neville. Da, da, da,
2: da. <laughs> That'd have been great interest music. <laughs> no, he's not. That is bullshit. No, it's not. It's, he's not. Unfortunately, Tommy, he's not. Yeah, sorry, I- Tommy. He didn't he i believe he won it on a weekly show, yeah and he, he lost it why well, he he didn't mean event I just checked <laughs> sorry tom i
1: i I had him on my list as a question mark, but I wasn't willing to go with him that early because i didn't didn't know for definite um I did have on my list sasha banks and Bailey obviously, yeah, and also pete Dunne.
2: Peter Dunn yeah
1: because uh, i did watch that recently well not recently a couple of months ago and then i was like no idea no fucking idea i was like i, I was done so i i, I yeah. think again tom it might be a case of you being more tactical in the the order of your answers that you give when did he lose the title then um
2: who, who,
3: who else did you have tom um i also had andrade bobby Roode, and keith lee in the
2: in the chamber already yeah they would have uh, all been all right
1: I think think, Tom you need to report back to us next week and we will have a Bo Dallas loses the title podcast within a podcast uh, where you can report back on all of that good
2: stuff just for the listening public yeah sorry let's go through the ones that were listening so we've got Tyler Breeze Bobby Roode Acom and Razor Drew McIntyre uh, Alexander Wolfe Killian Dane Eric Young, Roderick Strong, Kyle O'Reilly, Billy the Fish, uh, Ricochet, uh, Hanson and Rowe, who were the War Raiders, I believe. Yeah. I did have in brackets War Raiders, by the way. Uh, Viking
1: Raiders as well, I believe. That's like.
2: it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, when they came up. Uh, Alistair Black, Adam Cole. I'd written him twice, I don't quite know why. Uh, Dominic Dykovich, Charlotte Flair, Rhea Ripley, Io Shirai, Karrion Cross, Pat McAfee. Birch and Juan E. Lorcan, uh, Raquel Gonzalez, and Kyle and O'Reilly again. I've written him twice. Again. It was so good you wrote him twice. Yeah.
3: So this is an interesting one, because there was NXT Arrival, which was the first NXT pay-per-view, which was headlined mm-hmm. by Bo Dallas and Adrian Neville, and then the second one was NXT TakeOver, and then that was when they rebranded it. Well, I'm not disputing the victory, because he technically didn't main event an NXT TakeOver, it was still an NXT
2: yeah per view I'll be honest, I'm disappointed for you, Tommy, because I think that's a tough one. And I must confess, when I put this list together, I completely forgot that they had pre-TakeOver pay-per-views. Mm. Yeah. Never mind, Dave. mind. No, get that chin up. Don't worry about it. <laughs> stop, stop crying. Come on. Stop crying. It's um, yeah. And Ultimately, <laughs> you had more people on his list than I did. But yeah.
3: still, that's not
2: the point.
1: To be honest, it's both my least deserving victory and the one I least expected to get. So, uh, Mm. you know, I'm I'm, I'm delighted, quite frankly. Yeah. (laughs) So that does wrap up everything we've got to do for today's episode. Old Man, thank you for joining me today.
2: Thank you very much. It's been it's been a good one. But I don't want the listener to forget that there were pre-takeover pay-per-views like I did. I just want them to remember Ken Patera.
1: And Tom, thank you for your contributions. As bitter as you might be about that uh, game finishing the way it did.
3: I am, but I'm also feeling a little bit philosophical at the end of it as well. Because remember, lads, the time fears only the pyramids and the random wrestling review.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. And we will be back again with more of that great stuff. Um, uh, But until then, take care.